Alright, well, <laughs> we lost an hour of sleep last night and it's raining and I'm, I'm impressed that everybody made it. So, uh, we'll, we'll get started. Um, sorry we're running a little late. Um, hopefully Kim will bring a, a few more notes down if we need them. But uh, let, let me open with prayer because I think that'd be a good start. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. Lord, we thank you that in your uh, amazing providence you have uh, allowed rain to come and to wash away the pollen. And Lord, as we come this morning and we are reminded by your word of what you've done and how you've washed away our sins, Lord, may we be reminded of that wonderful work and the, the, uh, the history of which it's happened. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to see much more of you and your word uh, this morning. We pray that you would guide conversation and that you would protect uh, me from error. And Lord, that you would uh, prepare us uh, for worship. In your awesome name we pray. Amen. So, for um, where we're at, Jack did an amazing job last week. It was kind of cool that we record it. I was doing some things with children's ministry, so I couldn't do it. But we, so we're, what we're, when we divided this up, um, one of the, the kind of things that we're looking at is uh, when you start getting into the minor prophets, they start overlapping and doing all kinds of kind of. Um, amazing things, or maybe random things, it, it feels like. And so what we did is we just used a book that, uh, and it's a survey of the Old Testament by John Scott, uh, and he he goes through and divides them up. And so that's what we used. Uh, that wasn't like some massive like think thing that we did, but it was just kind of, hey, this, this would be a helpful way in which to do it. So some of what we're going to be talking about is a repeat of what Jack talked about last week. Um, but some of it, I thought it would be helpful for us as we get into it. We just had missions week for the past two weeks. It'd be good for us to kind of have a, a reminder uh, and try and kind of get an idea of, of where we're at. Uh, and so to do that, uh, we need to kind of consider what's, what's happened up until this point uh, that, we're, that we're in. Um, when we start thinking about uh, particularly the exile, uh, we need to think about the, the different deportations. Uh, and so the first uh, deportation that we see of, uh, this is from the southern kingdom um, of, the, of the nation, uh, particularly from, from Judah. We see um, that there was a showdown between in history between Egypt and Babylon. Babylon wins that, uh, and so in that, uh, there's, there's kind of a change in the dynamics and world power. And so what Babylon does is it comes into these different nations, and when they come in, they look and they would pick that kind of like the cream of the crop, the leaders, everything, and they kind of like scrape it off the top, and then they would take it back, and then they use that to kind of be the influence, the ways in which they kind of change uh, society in a way in which, in which they're leading. So we see uh, that there's in 605 BC there was the first de- deportation uh, in there, and so that was when Daniel and we'll we'll talk about Daniel uh, the second in our in our books today. But that's when he was taken away, and there's a, a reference up there uh, that'll be in the in the notes um, that you can look to that describes that. And so it describes what what about Daniel, uh, particularly in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went with him as well, and what they were looking for in that. And so. They're looking for people without blemish. They're looking for people that are highly skilled at what they're doing, kind of like the leaders of it. And so really it's, it's like, uh, you know, you've got like your, your up and coming great leaders of, uh, the, the Jewish nation and all of a sudden they're just like whipped away. And now that's kind of like, Oh, well, that, that's, a, that's interesting. Um, so then we see the second deportation, um, 
we see that there was a Je- Jehoiakim. Uh, he was he was kind of the, the 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 puppet king that had been put in, or the vassal king. Uh, so he's hanging out, uh, doing the, the "Hey, I'm the king" thing. Um, but he, while he's doing that, uh, he starts to kind of grow restless. He starts hanging out with, with some of the Egyptian type deal and starts kind of saying, hey, I, I don't really like this whole Babylonians telling me what to do. Uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar tries a few things to kind of get things uh, going. But then um, around 798, he starts to, to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually march. Uh, so there's a, there's a, an understanding that we have that because there's already a, a group that has been pulled out and they're in Babylon, they're watching an army get the, built up, brought together, and they're going to go march and they're going to they're going to lay waste to to Jerusalem. And so they're they're seeing this coming. They're they're seeing it uh, kind of going on from from those like two different sides. But it takes them a little while to get there. And so Nebuchadnezzar shows up in Judah. With it, with an army. Uh, in, interestingly enough, it's kind of humorous um, that in that uh, the Jehoiakim um, Chin, I mess up the pronunciation. He his I guess his dad was kind of be the one that was messing around doing some kind of foolish stuff, uh, and he wasn't necessarily the best king either. But he uh, his dad dies, and then he comes onto the throne, but. Nebuchadnezzar is already marching, so it's kind of a cruddy way to start out your being a king. I just thought that was kind of humorous. Of like, thanks, Dad. Um, you know, and so they they come and and so they take over. And that in that second deportation, that's when Ezekiel uh, is is taken into captivity. And so again, there's a certain amount of kind of cream that comes to the top, and they come in. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes those and he pulls them off back to uh, to there uh, as well. Uh, to Babylonian. So then there's a third one, and this one is the one that is, is probably the most known or, or, or most, that's when, uh, so if you look at the dates, that 597, that's when Nebuchadnezzar's coming in, that's uh, 586 is the date in which we say, okay, this is when Jerusalem is is destroyed. And so dis- uh, Jerusalem, comes. he comes in, destroys Jerusalem, takes the uh, destroys the temple and he takes away uh, even more people so he, he digs even deeper pulls even more people out of of the city and out of the nation uh, and so there's not a whole lot left except for rubble and um, kind of like your your whatever people that are that are left there um, but we'll see if, if you continue on after four or five years uh, there's another little group that kind of starts saying, okay, well, if, if all of our leaders are gone, if everybody's gone, we'll, we'll, we'll make new leaders and we'll rise up again. Uh, and not really, they didn't rise up in, in kind of rebellion, but as they're rising up and kind of doing that, they come in and pull all those people out again. So there's a, there's, there's these four different deportations that have come in. And every time that that rises up, anytime there's a new leadership structure, anytime things start getting normal again, they come in and, and rake that away. Uh, and so there's just an, an idea of that's a, it's a long time period between 605 and 581 of, of constantly seeing, uh, you know, this, these people that are in their face. It's also, you know, I think if you think about it, as you start to see more and more people are being pulled away from, uh, Jerusalem and they're being, uh, or the Jude- Judeans are, are being pulled away. Their, their home is starting to be in Babylon. So they're witnessing more and more of their homeland um, being destroyed and those, those people that are kind of being pulled into it, uh, through it. So those are kind of things that we need to keep in mind as this is going on 
Um, there's also um, one of the, the guys that we've been uh, re using and reading is there's three stages of exile that, uh, that we're kind of going to look at and it will help us as we look at these different um, prophets. The first one is false hope. Um, when we see that, uh, basically there's the, hey, we're here, but we, we don't really, this isn't really that big of a deal. Uh, we're, we're, in, um, we're in Babylon, but we got pulled in here. But there's not really much of an issue that we're going on. And one of the things that uh, they're, they're resting in is, well, there's a temple. And that's where our God reigns. And that temple is still there. And so he's going to save us. He always has. We've got this long history. Like, we're, we're going to be fine here. Uh, and the prophet Jeremiah in, in 29, uh, 4 through, I think, 7 up there, he says, uh, he tells them basically to build houses, to live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take uh, wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that you may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to exile and pray that the Lord is on his behalf for the welfare you will find, uh, for in his welfare you will find welfare. And so there's this there's this idea that Jeremiah is telling them, hey, this is your new home for the time being. Uh, and the people are still kind of like, no, we, we really like where we came from. And, and because the temple's there, that's still going to, to be where we're going. This is going to be a, a great thing. Uh, well, then once the, the destruction happens of the temple, we see that there's the second um, kind of stage of exile. And that's the years of hopelessness. And so all of a sudden you've got these, uh, these people that thought, well, we're untouchable because God has got his temple. We're being worshiped. We can, you know, they're worshiped, you know, his presence, like all, all of these things that we, you know, their, their framework and how life is working is, is still in place. It's just they're in a different, different place physically. And then all of a sudden that all gets destroyed. And then all of a sudden hopelessness comes in of like, wait a second. Where is our home? What does it mean if, if, if that is our home, it's completely destroyed? Where is God? How, you know, who are we anymore? So their identity is completely destroyed in it. Um, and so there's a lot of questions of like, how, how much to that have felt? What does that look like of, of, hey, and, and then the years are starting to kind of pile up of like, oh, this is, this is not good. More and more of, of the, those, that cream is being brought into, into the Babylon and, and they're trying to, they're starting to see their identity messed with of, you know, are, are we really God's people? What does this look like? Uh, and then, uh, the third is a revival of hope. Uh, when we see that, uh, we see that, um, basically there's a change of leadership, uh, in Babylon, uh, and all of a sudden they're allowed to go back, uh, to, and rebuild the temple. They're allowed to build the walls. They're allowed to build homes and go back. And so there's this revival of, of hope. Uh, some of the people had, had loved the area. They want to stay. Uh, others like Daniel wanted to go back, but too old and couldn't go. Uh, and then there's like the 50,000 people that, that do go back. Um, and there's some references in there to different Psalms that, uh, that kind of explain the different feelings of where they are and how they, they want to do it. But for time's sake, we're going to, we're going to, uh, just let you read those on your own. Um, and so when we, uh, look at these, we're going to, um, first look at, um, Ezekiel. Uh, and so Ezekiel uh, is kind of an interesting uh, man. I, I don't know uh, how many, any of y'all, just show of hands, how many of y'all have ever studied the book of Ezekiel or the prophet Ezekiel? Probably. 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 Yeah, I, 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 I was just more of, I didn't want to 
to get checked because you're an, an Ezekiel expert. And I, <laughs> um, I like I was like as I was particularly as I was reading through these. I, I think one of the things that I looked at is like um, I think one of the the guys that I was listening to was talking about is like when you open your Bible, like there's a section of the minor prophets that doesn't really open well because <laughs> you, just, you just have never used it. Uh, and I was like, okay, th- these are. So I was really encouraged as I, as I started to to read, and I thought it was really helpful to know about some of these these men. Uh, some of them we they give us kind of some background. They can they can figure some things out. So I'm going to try and, and paint a picture of that, and then we'll go through each one of these books and some of the ways in which we can apply it. Uh, Ezekiel was born uh, in 622, and one of the things to keep in mind uh, is after a year after he's born, what was what was found in 621. Around Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. So the the book of the law was found. So all of a sudden, there's this book of the law. What happened after they found the book of the law? Revival. Revival. So there's there's an idea. This guy is is one, two. All of a sudden, the book of the law is found. All of a sudden, there's this revival. And so he's he's young, uh, and so he's growing up. He's also from the the priesthood line. So he's a priest. So he's in the midst of this rediscovery of the law. And so he's he's learning. Um, he's learning and developing uh, kind of a, a better idea. He was not taken in the first uh, the first deportation so there's some question of like okay you know what does that mean of him how does that look uh, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more but he was around 25 years old when he was when he was pulled away I think if you do the math and then about five years later he became not only a priest but a prophet um, he was uh, a man that just lived among the people um, we'll talk about some of the difference between Ezekiel and Daniel because they served together. But uh, if we look in Ezekiel 8.1, it says, In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord fell upon me there. And so there's this picture of this man who's not uh, you know, up in some kind of like ivory tower or even in, in any form of leadership. He is just sitting in a home, uh, and there's people that are coming to him, and he's, he's just kind of an average guy that all of a sudden the Lord calls into uh, this ministry of not only being a priest, but also being a prophet. Uh, so he lives among the people. Uh, we also are told in Ezekiel 24, uh, 15 through 18, that he was, he was married, um, but that his wife died uh, while he was he was a prophet, uh, and I could read that, but for time's sake, we'll we'll keep going on. And so there's this there's this idea of uh, this man has been through a good bit. You know, he's not as home anymore, but he's serving on uh, in this. He he di- he dies. Um, I, I, I'll read Ezekiel 24, verse 18. It says, So I spoke to the people in the morning, and that evening my wife died, and the next morning I did as I was commanded. Uh, and so there's this kind of like, oh, well, that's, that's an interesting way to live life. Uh, but at the same time, it's like he knew what he was supposed to do. He, he, uh, he was walking along, and he's serving the Lord, and he's doing what he's been called to do. Um, so we, we know that he, he kept uh, all kinds of... At the right spot. We know that uh, he, he kept all kinds of notes. His, his book is kind of like a diary. Um, and that he was fearless in, in a lot of the ways in which he worked. Uh, and the reason for that is because the Lord 
uh, continued to work through uh, his his life um, and then strengthens him. Uh, so he knows, hey, my strength is not coming from me, but it's coming from the Lord. And I think that explains a lot of the ways in which he was able to continue on working and uh, and following the Lord in the in the midst of, of the hardships in which he was. Um, so as we continue on, the book of uh, Ezekiel itself, when we look at it, um, uh, the the Ezekiel's name is God strengthens, and the key theme of this book is the glory of the Lord uh, is 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 at at, at front before us. Uh, there are other things that we need to to kind of be aware of in there, is that there's a lot of repetition. Instead of him continuing to go out and just like throw new uh, concepts out there, he is he is one that continually repeats things over and over again. So if you start to look at the way he describes the attributes of God, he picks five and he uses them over and over again. Particularly that he's glorious, sovereign, holy, just, and merciful. And so as you read through, you can you can start to pick those up and you see them over and over again. That, those are what he was really hammering in on. He's he's. Uh, not got the three points like a Presbyterian preacher, but he has five, and so that's what he's he's going for each time. When he talks about the attributes of man, uh, he sticks to two kind of things, that they're each individually responsible and that they have a corrupt heart. Uh, when he starts talking about Israel, the three things he talks about is judgment, idolatry, and hope. Uh, and so those are, those are common things that you're going to see over and over again as you as you read uh, through the book. When we get to the actual book itself, it's split up into three different sections. Uh, and so the, the first section in which he's dealing is the prophecies before the siege of Jerusalem. So he's dealing in, in that time frame in which, hey, all these people are thinking life is good. Uh, here we are. Um, life is in a, in a good spot because, yeah, we're not in, in where we need to be, but our God still, you know, he's still got a place where we can go worship him. But all these things are good, and, you know, this is just a little inconvenience, a little bump in the road as we go. Uh, and so um, Ezekiel's telling them, no, that, like, <laughs> these are false hopes. Uh, there is there is no speedy return. Um, that there's actually uh, a, a way in which, hey, you know, Judah's not going to, to exist uh, as we come uh, as, as we see these things, and he's trying to prepare them for it. He's trying to remind them of what has already been told ahead of time. And um, basically, he's trying to, to tell them of the judgment that's coming. So um, he, he's trying to share with them all those different things. And so you can see those, those different breakdowns of how that works, of uh, the different ones. Uh, and so his calling in there, the prophecies, the, the moral necessity for judgment, the absolute certainty of judgment. It's kind of like, hey, look, I'm, I'm repeating this over and over again. Uh, and then the cause for the judgment in there uh, is, again, reiterated um, in that. I think got cut out. Um, and, he, and then he tells... Um, how because of their sins, the glory of the God will leave the temple. And so there's a, a huge piece in which uh, we need to be aware of that. When we talk about the glory of God, their, their understanding of it was it residing in the temple. Uh, and so if all of a sudden the temple is destroyed, where does the glory of God go? Like, they're surrounded in Babylon full of temples in which, you know, there's this false glory that's being given to all these, these others, but they're in their mindset. They're like, well, we're still good because the glory of the Lord is residing at the temple in which we call home. 
And so there's there's a whole lot that goes into that mindset that we don't fully understand as as Christians today, and we'll talk about that when uh, we we get a little further along. Um, so the next stage that we we hit is the prophecies during the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, and so here here's what's been prophesied. Here's what's coming. They they saw Nebuchadnezzar march out, uh, and he's he's you know in Babylon telling all these people, hey, you know this isn't going to go well. Now they know it. Uh, the surrounding, um, but he he wants to make sure that he under that everybody understands that this isn't just God looking at one little subset of people, seeing their sins, and being like, that's all I care about. Uh, God is is one who cares about all the nations, uh, and he knows, uh, and he's communicating here through Ezekiel that all the nations will be judged. And so uh, whenever God sees sin, uh, it, it angers him, uh, and he he is needing to, to judge it. So if you go through, you can see the different places in which um, God judges all of these different nations uh, for them, and then it ends uh, with this watchman, and particularly the idea of <clears throat> Jerusalem falling. Uh, in this, we see that there's this constant uh, reminder that God is holy, he sees the sins of the world, and that he will, will judge his people. Um, and then the last uh, one that he covers is the prophecies after the siege of Jerusalem. So before, during, and then after. Uh, in that, he's talking about a glorious future for Israel. And so there's this hopelessness that's had. Looks like we've got some visitors. We'll welcome in real fast. Mr. Eric, who do we, who do we have visiting us? This is our three- and four-year-olds. And are doing our annual walkabout, where they come to see what their mommies and daddies are doing in Sunday school. I've already told them your class is a whole lot more boring than yours. <laughs> I, I thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Eric and Miss Kelly started doing that a while ago because the kids oftentimes didn't know, kind of like. Hey, what's in the church? And it's really interesting, some of the questions I've gotten of like, this isn't like, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I every year it's exciting to see new kids' eyes open to like, the church is not just a, a nursery and a, and a little classroom, but it's much bigger. So, um, so anyway, as we, as we look to the great hope that's before us, uh, there's a glorious future for Israel. And so he, he talks about, um, there's a whole lot of imagery of, of David. Uh, there's this, this idea of what's, what's in, in head, ahead, but there's also not just the, the right then, right now, but this description of a new temple, um, the idea of, of what's coming uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the time of Jesus coming as well. Um, and so he, he starts to preach hope after all hope has been removed, uh, he reminds them that there will be an end to the exile and God's glory will come back to his people um, is a lot of things that we'll be doing there. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, I wanted to stop and do at the end of each of these books is some, spend a little time, maybe we can discuss, what are some things that we should consider while, uh, while we're reading uh, these things? One of the things at the beginning particularly that we are confronted with is as we read that first section is, they're putting their hope in this physical temple. Uh, and so, you know, here we are in postmodern or post-Christian uh, United States of America, 
And a lot of times we, we put our hopes in different things. But what are, what are things in which, as we're reading this, that we can start to think to ourselves, hey, maybe, maybe there's some things in this world that I'm putting my hope in. Uh, instead of putting my hope in the Lord, I'm putting my hope in these physical things or, or places even. Um, do you all have any, any thoughts on that? I'm just going to put you all on the spot real fast. Our nest eggs. So the, the, or the physical resources to, to be able to continue on. Politicians. Politicians. The fact that we have lived in a country where we haven't needed to be, or needed to suffer persecution, but that could change. Yeah. I think I shared before, when this, when there's a... There's a, a series that Jack and I have been listening to where a guy's doing a, a real in-depth survey of, of the Old Testament. He was doing it in the 70s when the Cold War was happening. And he was at a different season of life where he's like, we don't know what's going to happen with communism. Like, we don't know where, where this is going to go. And he oftentimes will allude to that. You know, we don't know what it looks like. And he's, he was in Europe doing it. Um, but I think a lot of times we look at the United States as this unbeatable force of this, you know, we've got this. Like, the Lord's hand blessing is, is upon us, and uh, oftentimes I think we, we start to realize, well, there's a lot of false hope that we have in the United States, in being an American, uh, and I think there's a lot of benefits to that, and that's, that's great. I'm not trying to knock the United States, but at the same time, as Christians, this is not our home. As Christians, this isn't our identity. Our identity is in the Lord. And I think that's one of those things we should consider as we, as we read Ezekiel. Um, so um, I think as well, um, oftentimes I think in my own life as I read the news and different things, I don't really think that God sees everything that's going on. Uh, if we read that center section of this, uh, I think it, it's one of those great reminders of, no, the Lord sees everything. He sees what, what all these terrible nations are doing. Uh, we, he sees, you know, the aggression. Uh, he sees even what the United States is doing that maybe we don't understand. Um, but God is a perfect judge, and he's seeing everything. And I think there's a certain comfort and a reminder to us of, like, how God is, is intimately involved in all aspects of the world. It's not just this one little section that I'm in. He's much larger, he's much greater, and he's... He's showing us um, through this, this these passages that he's he's aware of all the different kingdoms at play in it. Um, and then I think in that third section, uh, there's a as a reminder of oftentimes if if you watch the news, if you kind of look at what's going on in society around us, we fin- end up feeling very hopeless. Um, but if we read that that third section, there's this reminder of there is hope. There is a reminder of of what the Lord's doing and how we can grow in it. And so as as we read as equal, we should we should try and keep some of those things in mind. Um, any other thoughts or ideas on Ezekiel? I just had a question like that where it says chapter thirty seven Israel to be revived, reunited under David. Um, is a modern person, I sometimes think, is that a prophecy about the state of Israel and how it came to be, you know, post yeah, World War II, or is that completely just saying in Christ Israel will be revived? Like I, I'm confused by that. I, I think it's both. When it, when it says under David, we're, we're we're talking about the greater David. So there's there's this clear understanding of hey, we're talking about Christ, but there is 
a, a very interesting and unique idea that God's chosen people, the Jews, still still managed to... I had a seminary professor that would, would hammer this almost every lesson that we had um, when we were looking at the Old Testament. It's like, for some reason, all of a sudden, we have this Jewish people, and they didn't really have a home, and all of a sudden, they have a nation. Like, what, what happened in history to all of a sudden allow them to have this government and uh, to be there? There is... God's hand still upon his people. They are still the children of Abraham. Those promises are still good and still true, and he still uh, he still loves his people. So, if they look to the Messiah, <clears throat> if they look to the Messiah. But there, there's also you know there's the benefits uh, of um, like even in in our covenant community, if you have a child who isn't necessarily professing faith, but they've grown up in the covenant community, they still receive the blessings of the Lord. Like they had parents that taught them how to do things. They have you know, a community in which they can see. And so there's, there's, there's judgment that's coming for them. There's no, I'm not saying that they're saved because all of a sudden, you know, God loves them and whatever, but there's, there's this idea of God's hand is still upon his people. He's still doing these promises. Uh, and just like in the old Testament, it wasn't always because they did everything right. It's just because he's doing it for them. So current Israel is apostate as it can be. Yeah, it, and, yeah, and you know, in Ezekiel thirty-six, it talks about I will take out your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and then thirty-seven is the valley of dry bones. Yeah. All bones come to life, and that's that's the hope that, that he changes us, mm-hmm. and so these covenant people are still they're reminded. It's only because I change you. And he changed David. He gave David a new heart. And that's why he was such a great king. Thanks for for clarifying that. Yeah. So there is a a, a very unique aspect about the Jewish people. We don't have a whole lot of time to go into that uh, this morning. Um, Maybe that's a whole other Sunday school lesson that we can get Tim to come in and teach. Um, but there's there's this idea um, in the concept of as as Bill was saying that you know there's there's people that are dead and their sins and trespasses and then uh, you know the number of people that you hear that identify as uh, you know I'm a, a Jewish atheist let's say. how does that how does, I still understand how that works but okay um, but then there's this this uh, this concept of you know, when new life happens, when, when all of a sudden, you know, there's this amazing picture in Ezekiel of the dry bones, and it's like there's a picture of, of new life, there's a picture of the hearts being replaced. Um, those are a great hope that we have and a great encouragement uh, to us. Any other thoughts on Ezekiel? I think those were helpful. I'll just tie a bow on that and say the hope and that encouragement is because of God's work. Yes. You know, uh, He is the one who gives us a new heart. He's the one that gives us a new spirit. He's the one who takes away our dead heart of stone and gives us a new one of flesh. Uh, he's the one that does. And so uh, the, the beauty of the sovereignty of God and just resting in him. And, and that's one of those key themes over and over again. It's, it's always a, a fun reminder to, to tell children of like, okay, so if you're dead in your sins of trespasses, I think R.C. School used this in illustrations, like, okay, get somebody to lay down, have them act dead, and then you're going to tell them, okay, get up and go turn on the light. It's like, it doesn't work because you're dead. Like, 
the Lord's the one doing all the work. He's the one doing all, all those amazing things. Uh, like the, the illustration that Finney used to give is the life preserver. Mm-hmm. You throw the life preserver out there, and, and they just have enough left in them to reach for it, you know. And that's not what the Bible says. It's a dead person floating there. Yeah, and probably even more gruesome, there would be like a decomposing, like dry bones, like yeah. like maybe at the bottom. Like I, so, I I think there's. Um, I, I feel like I feel like Finney could have gone further with that. But anyway, um, so moving on to Daniel. Uh, so he's he's uh, at the same time operating. Uh, he he's got a different ministry, uh, and at the end, I, I, we're going to try and compare a little bit uh, of these two ministries if we've got time. I'm going to try and scoot through Daniel a little bit faster because um, a lot of us are very familiar with at least the first half. Um, but so he goes into exile at 506. The the first group that's going, uh, he was the longest living prophet, um, and so. What are, what are some of the differences we see in the life and ministry of Daniel and Ezekiel? Um, at, at first glance, um, we can see a lot of the, these different things that were um, at, at play there, um, but it, it kind of makes you wonder, if you didn't get taken in the first uh, deportation, what that meant you were. I, I was, as I was thinking about that, I was like, so Daniel was like a spotless guy, he was apparently really intelligent. He's probably a royalty, and so he got pulled out first. And so I, I wondered often if there was like a class of like, well, we, I got pulled in the first one, you know, like I'm second, I'm third, I'm fourth, like. I, so there, there's, but there's a, a reality there of as you see the ministry. Um, Ezekiel's ministry was different than Daniel's. Daniel was in the midst of the leadership of the church. He or of the of Babylon. He was brought in. He had he stood before the king, he had interaction with the leadership, uh, where Ezekiel, we see him just interacting with the Jewish people. And so I think there's there's an understanding that we see throughout all the Bible is that there are different callings for different people. Uh, there are some people that will stand up and say, I, you know, I'm going to be the Daniel. Uh, and then there's others that are like, no, I'm, I'm just going to be Ezekiel or maybe the weeping prophet as well. So there's, there's all these different ideas, and I think it's worth pointing that out. <clears throat> out ahead of time of, hey, you know, these, these are a, a real different thing. Um, just even their abilities, their family, all these different things that uh, some of them he could maybe have an influence on and other things he didn't. It's just this is what God did for him, this is where God used him, and this is, this is where it is. Um, some of the key themes that we're going to talk about uh, or to think about as you're reading this is um, just because Babylon has conquered uh, does not mean that their gods are better. Uh, and so if you th- would think about it, uh, if you're the Jewish people or God's people and all of a sudden, you know, your God is in, in the temple, you're worshiping, uh, you're like, hey, he's the one that has saved us, he's the one doing all this, and all of a sudden Babylon comes in and they take over, they bring you back, and they're like, look, our gods are better than you, better than yours. Like, that's going to be a thing that they're going to throw in their face all the time of like, look, our gods are better. Um, the book of Daniel, interestingly enough, is like, I don't think so. Like, it's like that constant, like, throwback. Uh, we can see that over and over again uh, through the use of 14-year-olds. Uh, like, hey, like, wait a second. Like, you're not using some, like, crazy king or anything like that, but you're using, like, 14-year-old uh, teenage boys that uh, do all kinds of interesting things to kind of, like, disrupt how they're doing life and, and what they're what they're doing, though. Uh, some of those things are like the whole, like, hey, let's let's eat our own food versus this stuff that the king is giving us. Um, the idea of 
uh, Daniel going up and telling the king, you're going to lose your mind because you're a proud and arrogant man. Uh, like, <laughs> who does that? Um, and, and how? Uh, but then also... Uh, the whole like coming in and you know, there's writing on the wall and like this is what this means. Uh, there's humility and, and kindness in it, but then uh, also we see you know Daniel in the lion's den. There's there's this constant reminder uh, in there of of God is is greater, uh, and he continues to show that, and the kings continue to see that, but at the same time they quickly turn away from it. Um, so if we look at those uh, kind of first thing, God's sovereignty and history. Um, they, they, all these different things, um, we see, I'll go ahead and put all these out. Um, so, you know, the, one of the, the first ones I think that's really interesting is, um, the ability to interpret dreams. You know, we see that a lot of times, like I, I remember being a kid and reading like, that was pretty easy for Joseph to determine. You know, like, there's a famine, like, really good years, the, the fat cows, and they come and gruesomely eat the, you know, the skinny cows eat them. It's like, well, somebody could figure that out. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar is like, oh, no, 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 I need you to tell me what my dreams are and then interpret them, which is a whole nother level. There's all this, like, the, the story, the build-up, all of those is like some kind of, you know, crazy movie that we would see these days. But there's this, 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 all of a sudden, it's not that Daniel's great. It's not that you know the, the people, the Jewish people are great. It's their God is great. Uh, and so all these, all these things are, that are being done are continue to, to give glory to the Lord, not to the individuals that are doing it. Uh, and I think that's one of those key things to, to look at as we're as we're cruising through those. Uh, to kind of continue on, everybody is, is pretty comfortable with the first six chapters of Daniel, uh, and then we like to just keep. keep uh, skip over the, the last six, um, which is probably what I'm going to do as well, um, <laughs> just for time's sake. Um, but there are these reminders of, uh, of what the Lord, uh, there's prophecy, there's this sovereignty of, hey, the Lord's doing this work. Um, there's all these different kind of visions, the four beasts, uh, the ram, all, all these different things. Uh, and for time's sake, we're going to just keep scooting along. Um, but some things that we should maybe consider as we read the book of, of Daniel. Uh, oftentimes, do we consider uh, how much better our God is than the gods of this world? Uh, oftentimes, I think we, we live in you know this society in which we don't have temples where we go worship. Um, and then I would ask the question, are you sure about that? Um, you know, let's look at uh, how we worship sports, how we worship uh, concerts, like... If you go to a lot of these different things, like you see how uh, different you know ideas are being worshipped here, um, and the question is whether or not we we see our worship of God better than the gods of this world. Um, I think we'll continue to see as you read through the Book of Daniel, like okay, there, there's some things that are being worshipped here uh, that that we probably are wrestling with in our own day and age. Um, <clears throat> One of those things we can also look at is where did the strength of these men come from? When we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we see Daniel, how are they able to stand up as 14-year-olds and older to the pressures and the, the different persecution which they're facing? Uh, and the, the, the answer is it comes from the Lord. Um, and then we can see how they continue to do that. And we can also see some of the end results of it, of... Their persecution didn't make them, or their their being able to persevere through it didn't raise them up anymore. It continued to raise up the Lord. And I think, you know, oftentimes our modern-day church uh, neglects to see that. Um, 
Uh, one of the things as we consider Ezekiel and Daniel, we should, we should consider what type of ministry that we're called to. We're all called to a type of ministry. We're all called to, as a priesthood of all believers, to a different aspect. As we're reading through these, um, uh, there's often a trap that we think that we need to be the next Daniel. Are we all called to be Daniel? No, but there's an aspect where we need to have uh, faith, we need to be able to trust in the Lord, and that He's going to lead us into these different areas. Um, and so uh, one of the things in children's ministry that we're always wrestling with is you want to tell the kids of these amazing Bible stories, and then you like pull back and like, you can't do it. Like, you need Jesus. Uh, and so it's not the, hey, let's just be like Daniel type deal. Um, so with that... Um, those are some things to consider. So now we've, we've moved into that section. I think we've got about 10 minutes, so I'm going too fast. I'm about to try and speed back up. Um, so some, some history as we, as we go, that's, that's the exile. So all that happens. Uh, and then there's a, an interesting that's kind of thing that's coming on to the scene is uh, the Jews in Babylon start to hear about this guy named Cyrus. Uh, he was a, a, a general, uh, and this was 559 is when they start hearing about him. Uh, by the end of 546, he's taken over Mede and Persia and Asia Minor. So this guy is, is kind of uh, uh, rocking across, taking over all these different things. Babylon was supposed to be this, hey, this un, you know, defeatable kind of nation. And then all of a sudden, um, we see that uh, when Cyrus II comes, becomes king of the Babylon uh, in 539. So there, all of a sudden, there's this, this quick transition. The, the Jews should have known that this was going to come because they know that they're exiled for 70 years. So they know that these things are coming, but they didn't necessarily know. Well, actually, they knew. They knew a guy named Cyrus was going to come. Uh, and so they're, they're seeing it, they're getting excited about it. Uh, when he comes uh, and he becomes king, uh, he allows the Jews to return their own land and to rebuild the temple, the walls, the, basically the city. And he also sends money with them. So all of a sudden, they've been living in captivity, they've been living in this exile, and this new guy comes on and says, yeah, go back and do this. Uh, and so there's this, this amazing picture of God's uh, hand at work in it. Um, when we when we do that, uh, we're introduced into that time period. We're introduced to a couple of different um, prophets. Zerubbabel in, in 538 takes them back home. Uh, so the, our first prophet that we're going to look at is, is Haggai. Uh, his name uh, is pretty much all we know about him is that his his name means festival. So maybe he was born during a festival uh, was was maybe one of the thoughts uh, that people had. But that's about it. Um, we don't really know much about the man, um, but his background was that uh, when when the the Jewish people left back uh, to go back home, they go back uh, and they start building the temple, and they start the foundation of it. But then all of a sudden, uh, there's some opposition, some discouragement, and they just stop. Uh, they don't just stop working; they just stop working on God's house on the temple. Uh, and it's about 15 years later when Haggai jumps in, it comes onto the scene, and we're introduced into uh, the Jewish people. Don't have a temple, don't have a place for the Lord, but they have these very comfortable homes. Uh, they're, they're hanging out um, in it. There's a lot of play talking about the temple, uh, and basically the idea of the second temple. Uh, I thought it was interesting, uh, somebody pointed out that basically the way in which God has worked for the, his worship is it started out with family worship, uh, then there was the tabernacle, and then there was a stone temple, and then there was no temple, 
and then they re, uh, redid the temple, but the glory of the Lord never showed back up there. Uh, and then in the New Testament, we have the living temple, the, the ways in which uh, we're indwelled, indwelling, uh, have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Um, and so <coughs> one of the things that, uh, one of the key themes here is uh, those who don't build an earth, those who don't build an earthly temple and those that don't build a living temple. So as, as we're considering this, as we're thinking about it, you know, they're, they're trying to build a physical temple. A lot of times when we read uh, Haggai, we need to be thinking about that living temple that we are, we're the, the spirit dwelling in us. Um, uh, so Haggai and Zechariah, who we'll cover next, uh, are both called together. Um, one's very short and one's very long. Uh, and so with Haggai, uh, there's basically four messages that he he goes through. Uh, they're they're in the notes there. Uh, for time's sake, I'm gonna just kind of cruise past those. Um, I, I need to cover a little bit, I guess. Uh, so if we look at that first section, um, one of the major things that Haggai is is communicating to him, and he's shown them is they're living in uh, in, a, in really a time in which uh, things are going well for them. But they're always, they're, it's like they're trying to fill a bag, and it never gets full. They're trying to constantly get more and more, but uh, they're never satisfied. Um, and so that's one of the things he's coming in, and he's explaining them why they're never satisfied, why uh, they can't actually uh, be fulfilled by the things of this world. Uh, interestingly enough, this is one of the few prophets who, who the people actually listen to. We read a lot of these prophets, and people are just kind of like, oh, that's great. Um, but they actually listen, and they start building the temple. Uh, and so after that, there's this um, discouragement, but there's God's promises. There's a word of blessing, and then a word of promise. Uh, and so there's this, uh, at the end, there's <coughs> this, this talking about Zerubbabel, but particularly it's a unique way in which um, we, we look at, it's like Zerubbabel is not going to do all that. He's not saying all that. And we start to see, okay, they're actually talking about Zerubbabel as a as a type of Christ, or as the um, as kind of a, a, a beforehand and looking to him. Some things that we can should consider while we're we're reading uh, Haggai is uh, when we are in life and there's certain aspects in which we don't feel satisfied in the Lord, where we're continually wanting more, we're continuing to want to to, to get more of the world. It should make us kind of perk up as we read Haggai and be like, oh, that's kind of our lives. What what are we trying to put uh, our satisfaction in instead of the Lord? Uh, we're also reminded of God's faithfulness, uh, but also in there, the blessings of the new covenant of, you know, we have it we have it so much better uh, than them. We have the, the spirit who's come, <clears throat> the helper that was sent by the Holy Spirit. Any questions? Like I'm just flying through these. Okay. So Zechariah, uh, his name means the Lord remembers. Uh, we know a little bit more about him. Uh, evidently, many think that he was raised by his grandfather somewhere in the return. Uh, his father probably died, and so he uh, was raised by his grandfather. It's kind of an interesting thought. Uh, he, like some of the others, was from a, a priestly lineage. <coughs> and he was, also, um, he was also called to be a prophet. So he's a prophet in a... And a priest, one of the things that's worth pointing out um, is that of all the prophets and priests, we, we never see anybody that's a prophet, priest, and king. We see a priest and a king, we see a prophet, uh, but we never see all three of those until we see the Lord uh, 
uh, come to this this earth. So as we look at that, um, there there's a lot of thought of hey, his writing style changes drastically throughout the book. Uh, so the first half, many think that he wrote when he was younger, and then the second half was when he was older. Um, in this as well, uh, there's world, words of comfort to stir up a desire for the Messiah uh, that was coming, uh, and so. Interestingly enough, Zechariah is one that I have never really studied in depth, but <clears throat> maybe I should. Uh, the early church quoted, um, quoted it's the second most quoted book on the prophecies uh, following Isaiah. So uh, the early church knew uh, the, the book of Zechariah very well, and we, we apparently don't. As my, I'm speaking for you all, but I, I don't know it very well. Uh, so it's one of those ones, uh, very encouraging uh, it's also a very difficult book to understand uh, right out the gate, verses 1 through 6, or chapters 1 through 6, we see eight visions and one eventful night. Uh, so there's all of a sudden we're, we're like thrown in the middle of this, all these different things that are going on. Uh, interesting to note, there is a Joshua in there, but this is not the same Joshua from earlier in the Bible. This is a, the high priest, and they actually crown him as the king, so he's a, a priest king, but not prophet priest and king. Uh, there's a lot of talk on there about the branch, and so we, we get that, uh, the, the symbolism of, hey, here's Christ coming, uh, and as, as we consider on some things that you should consider while we're, while you're reading the book of Zechariah is, uh, how well do we know our Bible? Uh, as we, as oftentimes we, you know, we can, we can read the whole Bible, uh, in a year, uh, supposedly. I think somebody said that you can read the whole Bible in like 78 hours or something like that. I've never seen somebody do that, but I don't stay awake for 78 hours either. So, um, but there's an idea that they're all, all scripture is God breathed and worthy, uh, for us to study and to, for reproof. So there's, there's an idea that, hey, why don't we, why don't we study with Zechariah more? Um, and then, uh, some of it as we read Zechariah, one of the, the, the continual themes in there, is he's making, uh, he's trying to open up the horizons and make people see God bigger, uh, to make him larger. And so as we read the book of Zechariah, we should look to Jesus and the attempt to to see him in a greater and, and more fuller picture. Where, where does it split where he wrote it later? Uh, so I think the, I guess the, at the 9 through 14, uh, it's, it's the, I think the second half of that is when you start to see that change um, in there. You see it? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Good question. Um, so the last one that we'll try and to cover here uh, is Malachi. Uh, Malachi is another one we don't know a whole, whole lot about, uh, except for his name means my messenger. Uh, there's a lot of questions out there. People say, well, is this... There's a lot of uh, different Malachi's throughout Scripture, and the question is whether or not was this an actual man that was there, or you know how, how does how does this work? Um, <coughs> take a quick sip of water here. So uh, I think Malachi is one of those. Um, it's the last book of the Bible. Uh, it gets a particular amount of attention uh, when we come around the Christmas season because there's a lot of uh, prophecies uh, there. But also whenever we talk about John the Baptist, 
Um, so just to, as a, this one's kind of different. Zechariah and um, Haggai are, are operating at the same time. Malachi is is also operating at the same of, of some other uh, the the prophets in there. But he is um, he is the last writes the last book of the Old Testament. Um, this is after the the temple's been rebuilt and the Persian governor is ruling. Uh, and uh, as Jack talked about, there were some sins in which continued to crop up as the <coughs> as the people have built the temple and they go back. So uh, those the, the sins that he's particularly uh, this is after Nehemiah leaves, um, and so uh, the, the, what they're what they're dealing with in there is this idea of enemies. Uh, you know, one of God's enemies is actually living in the temple, which is I don't understand how that happens, but apparently it did. Um, there's the mixed marriages, the Levites uh, having to, to earn a living because no one was tithing, and then uh, the Sabbath markets. Um, so the big overall theme in which we see in there is God's love. Uh, so even in the midst of all these failures, even in the midst of all these hardships, here is God loving uh, his people. Um, we also see that this is a, a concluding book, but also a connecting book. So there's this... We're shutting it down, but we're also connecting it uh, to to what's about to come. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the book or the Old Testament ends with kind of like this curse of like here we are, um, but then there's also this hope in it. Uh, so there's a different aspect. So as we as we go through, and if you were to to, to read through each one of these, you'll see the tie uh, of many of these to one of those sins that's particularly doing it, uh, particularly the ungrateful people. Uh, God states at the beginning, I, I still love you. Uh, this profane priests, uh, they're not giving their best. Uh, adulterous individuals, um, the mixed marriages were particularly, not, it wasn't just that they were mixing, uh, it's they had wives already, it's they were divorcing their wives improperly, and then they were going and marrying, like remarrying other women uh, in surrounding nations. Uh, and so it's it's not just the, the sin of, hey, I'm, I'm doing, not doing what God is, but I'm actually like, Casting off my my wife that uh, that I rightfully married, and now I'm going after another woman. Uh, so there's a particular amount of there. We also see in there there's a lack lack of tithe for those who rub uh, rob God. Uh, and so I, I feel like when you start to look at the minor prophets, one of the major re- seasons in which we see minor prophets is when the church is looking to up tithes or to build something. Uh, and so I, I think it's it's worthwhile for us to. To investigate those in seasons where we don't need to do that, um, but maybe that's me being a little too real. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't think we have a building campaign coming anytime soon, um, but there are some some great encouragements there. Uh, and I think one of those one of the things to kind of leave with is how do you view the prophecies of the Bible? Uh, all these minor prophets that we're looking at, there's prophecies that are that are very clear and very particular. Uh, and oftentimes our culture tells us oh, that just happened or like there's there's a lot of ways in which we, we see you know magicians do or illusionists use different ways in which they're crafty and able to ter- determine different things and to make you think oh they knew what that was ahead of time but in reality there's some very specific items that the Lord chose to reveal to his people ahead of time for his glory do we look at them that way do we look at the prophecies and say oh 
This is the way the Lord has revealed to us His glory and continue to do so. I, I need to tell these to my children. I need to explain to them, look at God's faithfulness. Look what He did here. Do you see how these connect to the New Testament? It takes work, but at the same time, it, it's, it's very helpful for us to remind because there's practical application on, look, now we're in a time of hardship. Remember how God did this to His people. Uh, with Malachi, we're particularly reminded of God's love. They continue to fail. They continue to do terrible things. And there's a silence for 400 years. They're like, God, did you just abandon us? But if they go back to Malachi, they're reminded over and over again, no, God loves his people. And sure enough, when John the Baptist arrives on, onto the scene, we start to see these prophecies unfold, and we start to see God's love um, poured out upon his people. Uh, and so we're in a, in a very, I think, we're in a much better place. I know we're in a much better place because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the, the New Testament, but we have waited a long time for the Lord's return. They waited 400 years in silence, and there was all kinds of weird things that happened there, and the Maccabees and, and this things, but we're, you know, we're 200 or 2,000 years after Christ, and a lot of us oftentimes have those moments where we think, hey, Lord... Are you going to come? Like, how long, O oh Lord, do we have to wait? And the answer is, uh, until he comes. Uh, and so there's a great reminder of that. And so uh, let me close this in prayer, and we'll, we'll head on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. Thank you for the opportunity uh, that you have not only revealed yourself in the words, but, Lord, you have given us eyes to see, ears to hear. And, Lord, as we think of that awesome gift we think of uh, as we head into worship, uh, the ways in which you will be reminded that we have a high priest uh, who's interceding for us now, uh, that who uh, will never, uh, whose reign will never end, uh, who is not only our, our uh, priest, but he's also our, our prophet and, and our king. So Lord, may we worship you more, um, more excitedly, more uh, heartfelt, and uh, Lord, may we see our sins more clearly, but Lord, may we find grace all the more clear as well. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.